0: listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Once again, it's good to see everyone. And last week, we began a new series talking about lives that would be characterized by generosity, people that live generously. In fact, Bethel Bible Church, our vision or mission statement, it's got three main paragraphs if you've ever seen them, but we condensed them to three portable phrases. We are a church that is about growing communities, building leaders, and living generously for the glory of God. And so today we're going to pick back up in that third letter, Second Corinthians Chapter 8, so on your devices or in your Bibles, if you'll please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Last week we saw Paul, he had this falling out with the church in Corinth. He wrote this letter trying to encourage them to come back to the truth of Jesus Christ. They, this news, this great news is that they received this severe letter from Paul. We don't have that letter today, but we know he wrote it. And when they received it, they repented of their actions. And it tells us in 2 Corinthians that Paul is overjoyed to hear how they have turned back. Then Paul, he takes it a step further. And he wants to see this church in Corinth become spiritually mature and more like Christ. And so last week we left off where Paul was acknowledging that there were many things that this church was doing well. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 8, 7, you can see there he said, you were excelling in faith, speech, knowledge, earnestness, and even love. But there was a problem. They were doing a lot of things great. But the problem was they were neglecting what Paul says is this act of grace. He encourages them to excel also in this act of grace. And we saw last week this act was being generous with their wealth. The Corinthians, they started off great. For a whole year they had been giving and Paul was collecting this money and sending it back to the starving Christians in Jerusalem. But when they began following false truth, they stopped living these generous lives. And so we're going to pick back up, and we're going to see where Paul is going to take the people. But I want to begin by asking you, do you know someone that is just characterized by generosity? Do you know someone who gives, and it, it's like they never run out. They're giving, and they give, and they give some more. But you've ever thought about what causes them to be so generous? So why do you, why do you think some people are generous, and, and others Or not? Well, why is it there's some people, it seems like, they are always giving and they have such joy in it. Well, for me, I think it comes down to two things. First, I would put it in the idea of a worldview. Everybody has a worldview about everything. You and I have a worldview when it comes to politics, and we won't touch that one, about raising children, you have a, a worldview about what's best in education. Do you know you even have a worldview about how to grocery shop? I mean, we all, we all have a worldview, even how to do your yard work. Some of us just ignore it, but everybody has a worldview when it comes to absolutely everything. And What that is, is that we have developed a system about what is true and how to act upon that truth in every area of our lives. And I think we could see a worldview even of the idea of living generously. I mean, God has given us so many resources to be generous with. He's given us time, gifts, and talents. He's given us wealth. He's given you words. He's given you health. He's given you a home. And He's given you vehicles. And all of these are resources that we are to be generous with. But I, when I was thinking back this week about this idea that I even have a worldview about how to be generous, and I think there are three main categories. I think it, one would be the category of the capitalist, word we're all familiar with. And this says, the worldview says, all of my resources, everything I have, my time, my talent, my money, it belongs to me, and I have complete say over how I spend it. If I want to, I can't. If I don't, I don't have to. And my focus is on my needs and my wants. And the capitalist worldview says it's mine to control. But another worldview could be the socialist view. that says all of my resources, all I have, it belongs to this community, but I have no real say in how I use these resources. Somebody tells me I need to give Then I must give. If somebody tells me I have to serve, then I have to do that. And it's based on the needs of the community. But there's a third worldview that we would label the, the Christian worldview that says, all of my resources, my time, my talents, my money, it all belongs to God. It all belongs to Him. And it's always directed by His will. Now, I think we'd all agree that, man, that third one, that's the worldview that we should all have. We should view all that we have, our words, our ability to do things, our money, our homes, our cars, they all belong to God, and we use them in accordance with or according to His will. In all three of these worldviews, those with the Christian worldview should be the most generous people in the world. But we might say, well, the socialist worldview, I mean, they're, they're generous. They're, they're looking that everything belongs to everyone. But true generosity that we see in Scripture, it cannot come from commands. Real, true, genuine generosity, it cannot come just because someone tells you that you need to give. Generosity that honors God, it must be at its core, it must be voluntary. Because God is so much more concerned with our, our heart, our motives, behind the generous act, above just the doing something. So the generous people, they should, first of all, I believe they would have a Christian worldview. They would see all things belonging to God. But the second thing I think a, a person that is characterized by generosity, the second thing is I would think it would be the people that know what it's like to be without. Like a person that knows what it's like to be lonely. I think they would be people that would go out of their way to make people feel welcomed. My wife and I did that whole transition where your family moves and you're a a young kid. I remember I was in high school and everything about your life changes. And the scariest place in the world of a 15-year-old kid is the lunchroom. Man, where am I going to sit? Is anybody going to talk to me? What's going to happen? Man, we know what that feels like. So every year we challenge our children, meet someone new. If you see someone that's got that deer in the headlight look that they don't know where to go, they don't know where to turn, they look terrified, you be the one to relieve that. But think about a person that knows what it's like to be homeless. Man, I believe they would be so generous with opening up their home home To people, Because they know what it's like to be without. Or a person that knows what it's like to be without a car. I think they'd probably most likely be the first one to step in when someone's car breaks down or they need a ride to work. A person that knows what it's like to not have enough money to buy food. Will most likely be generous with providing meals to other people. Because I believe the most generous people are those that see everything that belonging to God are those that have experienced what it's like to be in need. But let's see what Paul is going to say from 2 Corinthians 8 about what truly makes a person generous. We're going to pick up in verse 8 this morning, and this is how it reads. It begins by saying, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also is genuine. So he begins by saying, not as a command. In fact, he doesn't want to use his his influence that he has over the people to get them to do something, to get them to be generous. I mean, Paul started this church. He was their leader. People respected him. And he could have said, you know what, church of Corinth, live generously because I said so. And people would probably say, okay, Paul, we'll do that. He could have just said, live generous lives because that's what is commanded of you. But Paul knows that true generosity cannot be created by commands. Giving in obedience to just a command or even to satisfy our own conscience is not an act of true generosity. Because you see all throughout the Bible that God is desiring a willing heart, not a coerced one. So Paul doesn't want to command them. God is after our hearts first and foremost. And he wants our hearts to be captivated by him. And then our generosity to flow from that. So Paul doesn't want to command them. But he also wants to look for something. He wants to give them something. This is what he says. This is why I want you to be generous. In verse 8 he says, But to prove the earnestness of others using them as an example that your love also is genuine. I mean, Paul wants to prove that their faith is real. He wants them to believe this. Paul himself, he believes that it is real, it is there, and he wants them to buy into it and believe also. But you see, there's two ways that you can test someone. You can test someone to teach them what they don't know Or you can teach them in a way that shows them what they do know. You all remember that college professor? I had one. That would make the hardest test. And his goal was to make the test that no one in the class could pass. And all they're doing, they're setting us up to show us what we don't know. That we don't know enough. There's a lot to be learned. But that's not Paul's point at all. He doesn't want to show them. He doesn't want to shame them. He wants to show them that their faith is real. He sets the stage and he wants them to see that when they give, it's going to prove to them that their faith is real. I mean, Paul is saying, listen, church, I'm for you. I'm I'm cheering you on. And he wants them to believe. And so to help them, Paul is going to give one of the most concise explanations of the gospel. And it's so beautiful. Look at verse 9. For you know, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich." So he begins by saying, for you know, you know this. He said, you have the knowledge of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he acknowledges that you have, church, the right beliefs. And he says, you know, you know, you have experienced the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is it that they know? What is it that they have experienced? And so he lays it out for them in verse 9. Though he, Jesus, was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Paul says, Jesus gave up everything, and he became nothing. So I just begin making a list. Then what is it? What is it that Jesus gave up? He became poor. As he left heaven and he took on humanity. Philippians 2 says that he emptied himself. He became poor by not accumulating things for himself. He lived a very simple life. He became poor by being humiliated, rejected, ridiculed, and even betrayed and persecuted. He became poor by voluntarily giving of himself to meet the needs of others. Have you ever thought about that in heaven Jesus had absolutely no needs whatsoever. But he put him in the self put himself in the place of being needy. He gave up his equality with God. He gave up the worship of angels. In fact, Jesus he laid aside His divinity, in this case that he became a man, even a servant, so that people refused to recognize him as God. He could have came in all his glory, and there would have been no debate on who he was. But he lays that aside. He doesn't give it up, but he lays it aside that he takes on the form of a man, and his majesty is disguised. Jesus had all the power of God, but he did not call upon that power for personal gain. He walked from place to place. He allowed himself to become hungry. He could have stood up. He stood up against Satan in the wilderness, and he could have cast him away forever, but he endured it. In fact, he could have called upon a legion of angels to save him from the cross, but he didn't. In fact, I love how Kent Hughes says it. He says, Though Christ, in his pre existence with the Father, could hold a white hot star in the palm of his hand, but he emptied himself of his riches and he became one of us, and then he died for us. Such was his poverty. He gave it all up, he gave everything up, and he became nothing. In his poverty, he says, it becomes our riches. Just thinking about what it does for us. I quickly begin jotting down some things. Because of his generosity, guess what we gain? Union with God. Full, unhindered access to God's throne. You never have to be alone again. You get to have all of your personal needs cared for. Salvation from your sins. You get to stand behind the one, the only one that could defeat the most powerful enemy in the world, Satan. For me, I'm so thankful that I get the fear of death removed. And then we get the blessing of the new heavens and the new earth. And the list, it could go on and on and on about what he gave up. So that we could have, because of his poverty, we get to become the most wealthiest people on the earth. Paul's going to now give them some advice. He says, thinking of all of that, look at verse 10 and 11. And in this matter, I I want to give you, I give you my judgment, I give you my advice. Because he says, this benefits you. Who a year ago you started not only to do this work, but you also had a desire to do it. So now, now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. So a year ago, these believers in Corinth, they had began living generous lives, but they had stopped. And Paul says to get back up and finish what you started. Paul is saying this, that good intentions, good intentions are just that. They're good intentions. But without action, he says they're absolutely meaningless. You think about all the good intentions that we can have. We can have good intentions to actually stop and to pray for someone. We can have good intentions to walk next door and to check on that neighbor. We can have good intentions about stepping out and using our talents and our gifts to teach children. We can have good intentions all day long about inviting that family over for dinner. We can have good intentions about reaching out to that person that we know is going through a difficult time. And I can't tell you how I have been convicted and hopefully blessed others by a simple phrase that I learned from one of our elders, Corey Mason. One day he said we were talking about something. is that I, I finally had to put this on my desk. And I can't tell you how many times now I have said that over and over to myself, is make the call. I mean, how many times have we had good intentions of reaching out to that person, maybe to wish them a happy birthday, or we calling just to check to see how they're going, or remembering that they were going through a time just to call and see, how is this thing working out for you? We have great intentions, but then we allow so many things to distract us from just making the call. But if we never act on these good intentions, They're always going to be that, just good intentions. And Paul encourages them to put these good intentions into action. Because look at verse 12. For if the readiness is there, that that good intention, that willingness to do it, if it is acceptable, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Now, I know for me, my greatest barrier in living generously is the excuse that I don't have enough. I know I could give and it would help this person. I can think of a million things I need to spend my money on. Or it's making that call. I can think of a million ways. You know what? They really don't care. Uh, It really wouldn't mean that much. Or I I just don't have enough time. Or man, I have so many things to get accomplished today or this week. And I don't really have time to invite them over. But Paul wants to once again make the point that our generosity is not measured by the amount of time or talents or even money that we have. God wants us to give out of what we have and not what we don't have. And God has given us everything we need to be generous with our time, our talents, and even our money. Some of us have more than others. There are people in life stages, you know what? They might have more time. There are people that God has blessed financially, and they might have more than others. There are people that God has given more or different talents than other people. But God has given all of us everything that you need to be able to give to others. Because it's not on the amount, but it is the heart behind it. Back this week, I... Had this idea, I just Googled, I wonder, who are the most generous people in the world? Sure enough, Ford's magazine, it came up with a list of people that they put forward as their five most generous people. And at the top of that list was a woman named Margaret Cargill of the the Cargill Corporation. You've probably seen their food products. That she committed $6 billion dollars. The charity. Man, I want you to know, man, that's great. God could use six billion dollars in all kinds of organizations. But it will not mean anything if it's not done with the right heart. Man, I pray that she does. I pray that she has that because God desires a ready and a willing heart. But I want us to look at these last three verses this morning. And Man, I want to be honest with you. Just like Drew said that, man, they've been struggling through this phrase. Man, I want you to know these next three verses, they have caused me some time to go, Paul, I don't see, that That can't be what you mean, Paul. These are hard verses. We've got to do some heavy lifting because I could feel my own worldview begin shaping the truth of these verses. So look at verse 13. Paul says, For I do not mean that others should be eased, and and you burdened, but that is that as you a matter of fairness. So Paul says that it's not the point is not to give so that others don't have to. You know, we can always sit back and go, you know what, man, they have more time to do that, or or they have more money, or they have more talents to do that. Paul is saying it's not a matter that not to give. So that others don't have to. The Corinthians were by far the wealthiest group Paul worked with. But his point was not for them to give because they had the most to give. And that others wouldn't have to. Paul wants them to see that there's going to be a reciprocal giving. And this is where it got cloudy for me. In verse 14. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need. I'm with you, Paul, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. That is, it's written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. I and mean, when I first read this, probably the first 10 times, it seemed like Paul was saying, hey, Corinthians, Man, you're sitting in a really good spot. God has blessed you financially. He's given you a lot of wealth. So why don't you give now? Because there might come a day that you're going to then need someone to give to you. You know, the market may take a downturn. And then you know what? You can call in that favor. And they'll give back to you. And everything will stay fair. I got to thinking... That can't be what Paul is saying because that would be giving out of selfish motives. And he's just been spending the entire chapter talking about our heart. Because you don't stop and help someone change a tire in hopes that one day someone will stop and help you. Could that happen? Absolutely. But that's not Christ-like giving. You don't give money to the church in hopes that... God will keep your washing machine running. You don't mow your neighbor's yard for them while they're gone or maybe they're sick so that one day he'll feel obligated to return the favor. We are not to give so that we benefit later. Because that is nothing more than the heresy of the prosperity gospel. So this is not, that can't be what Paul is saying. So so what is? What is Paul saying about this reciprocal giving? Well, then I saw it. God showed it to me in verse 14. It's the phrase where he says, So their abundance may supply your need. Because I'm reading and I'm thinking, Money, 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 money. Give money, 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 and they're going to give you money, money, money. And you read there, in their abundance. Now, who is there? There was the Christians in Jerusalem. And what's the one thing they don't have? It's money. They're starving to death. They don't have enough money to even put food on their table. So Paul cannot mean give to them, and then they will in turn send an offering back to you. They had no money to give. So they're poor. But they are rich in something. They were rich in spiritual things. They know, they knew what it was like to fully rely on God. They knew what it means to pray, trusting God to provide. They knew what it was like to treasure Christ above all else, even in the face of persecution. So I think Paul is saying, you Corinth, you have been blessed by God financially. So out of your abundance, not out of what you don't have, but out of what you have, give to those in Jerusalem. And although they are not rich financially, you will receive the prayers of a group of people that are on their knees praying for you. Give out of your abundance, out of your money, and you will receive out of their abundance of spiritual things. And I believe this is why. If God could, he, if He wanted to, He could eradicate poverty. God could make it to the place where no one ever in the world ever feels lonely. God could do it to where there is never a person that ever struggles through a physical illness. God could set it up that there would never be anyone... They would never need the care of someone else. But this is why there are people in need of our time and our talents and our wealth. God has given you and he has given me talents and time and even money. And he has placed people all around us in need so that we would know the blessing of living a generous life. Because look at Paul's illustration at the end of that verse. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. So Paul is drawing upon Exodus 16 when God was providing manna for the children of Israel. And every day you woke up and there was a small piece of bread sitting in some some grass. You would go out and you would gather what you needed that day and you would eat it. And he's saying that each and every day you woke up. And you gathered what you need. You knew what it meant like to get up every day in need and seeing God supply that need. But you couldn't store it. At the end of the day, what wasn't eaten, it rotted. It went bad. But each and every day, you were reminded that everything came from the Lord. He supplied your needs. And then when you had enough out of your abundance, you looked around for that family or or that widow or that individual that did not gather enough that day. And you gave out of your abundance. And so God blesses us with people who are in need. So that we know the joy and the blessing of meeting those needs. So here's the $10,000 question. Who around you? Who around you is in need? Who around you could benefit from your abundance? Who around you could be blessed with some of your time? Your talents? your words, to your home, or even your money. I think oftentimes they are there and we are just not noticing. And we may have the best intentions, but they just never get placed into action because there are always opportunities. And there are children in our nursery and preschool that need people to love them and to tell them how special they are and to teach them God's Word. There are neighbors around us who are lonely. There are family members that are in need of forgiveness and reconciliation. There are teachers that need to be encouraged. Next week, you will see a table back here, over 100 students in Sierra Leone that are waiting for somebody to give out of their abundance so they can have a scholarship to go to school. So who is going to step up? And live generous lives and meet the needs of others. Well, the key is in verse 9. Look back again. Here is who is going to step up. For you, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, it is those who know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because God doesn't anymore, He doesn't provide uh, for His children with manna on the ground anymore. He wants to provide for others through His church. It is those who know. Because here's the truth. Every world religion, every world religion has a belief that says it is good to give to the poor. Every group would say, it is good to care for the needy. Every world religion would say, live generous lives. So there's nothing distinctly Christian about writing a check or giving someone money or offering time or meeting needs. There's nothing distinct Christian about it. People do it all over the world in all religions. There's nothing distinctly Christian about it. But think about this. There are people all around us. It's not distinctly Christian to give our money to help the poor or to care for that neighbor or to get to know that person that cleans the offices. But but who better? Who better to meet the needs of others than those that have experienced the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? There is no one in the world better equipped to do this than those That know. Because you know the grace of the Lord. You know what it's like to be shown mercy. You know what it's like to be forgiven. You know what it's like to be given more than you deserve. You know what it's like to be rewarded for more than you have earned. And you know what it's like for someone to have pity on you. And you know what it's like to be loved unconditionally. We have experienced the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the sad truth is. There are people around us. That have not. So the challenge today is. Who better. Who better to show them forgiveness. Who better to show mercy and love. Than those of us. Who have experienced the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no one better for this than those that know. And so this morning if you know, if you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, I would simply say go and think about what good intentions need to be put into action. But if you don't, if you don't know this grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, ask God this morning to show you if it's true ask him to show you, is this true? That this thing that these people talk about that is the most important thing in their life, is it true? And we have faith that he will show it to you. So here's what we're going to do. I want to pray for us that God would take his truth and had it deep into our hearts to convict us and to lead us in this of living lives of generosity. And the band will play a one last song for us as we begin to think about where do we go next. But I want you to know if you have any questions at the end of today. Our elders, I'm going to ask Ken and, and Corey and, and uh, Paul. They're going to be up here at the front. If you want, just need someone to pray with you. If you've got questions, they'll be here at the front. I'll be here at the back. Seek one of these men out. Let us pray. Father, we come before you now as your church. We thank you for the opportunity of being able to wrestle with these hard truths that are so impactful in our lives. Because, Father, the truth is your steadfast love, it never ceases for us. And we know what it means to have your mercies never-ending. We know what it's like that every morning we wake up and to be able to say, great is your faithfulness. But Father, I would ask that you would help us to have eyes to see those around us that do not. So Lord, help us. Help us to be able to live lives that are characterized by generosity with our time, our words, our talents, with our money. That we want to be people that give out of our abundance to bring honor and glory to you. And so, Lord, it is in the name of your Son, and by the power of your Spirit, we ask all of these things. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us, and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.